Thank you so much. Wow. Let's why don't you just stand for a moment. Let's just, uh, let's just wait on Holy Spirit for a moment and just, uh, just see if there's, uh, more He wants to do. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're so welcome here. You're so welcome here. You're so welcome to lead us, show us, speak to us. I just, as we were worshipping, I just felt Holy Spirit just put on my heart, uh, I just sensed maybe there was a, a guy, might be a, might be a lady, but a businessman or woman. Um, and as you were worshipping, some situations from your, your business were invading your thoughts. And they just kept popping in there. And you're trying to worship, you're trying to, you're trying to love Jesus, but, but actually the, these thoughts from your business kept popping into your mind. Is that anyone here? Does that resonate with anyone? Anyone at all? It's okay, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be wrong. It's not a problem for me because I'm his favourite. So, so it's okay. Going once, going twice... I promise you, if you come and say that was me afterwards, I will headbutt you. <laughs> There's grace right now. Going again. Once, twice, gone. Okay, why don't we sit down? That's absolutely fine. As I say, I'm his favourite, so um, it's okay. See, the good thing is, is that all we have to do is be obedient. See, all we have to do is do what he's asking us to do. The results are down to him. And uh, it's funny sometimes, isn't it, how we hear stories of, of someone maybe praying on the street and seeing someone healed and we all go nuts and then somebody else prays on the street and they don't see anybody healed and we just don't do anything. And they've both been courageous. They've both done what the Holy Spirit asked them to do. Why Father chose to heal one and not the other is in his hands. So yes, it's great to celebrate a healing, don't get me wrong, but we should be celebrating the courage in both circumstances, not just the, the one that we perceive as successful. Because the success is down to Father, not down to us. The only success we can possibly have is to go and do what he's asked us to do. So that's why we're okay, we're getting it wrong, because actually we celebrate the courage, not, not the outcome. So that's why I'm a winner. Okay, so there we go. Wonderful. It's great to be here and um, it's a real privilege just to be able to spend these next two days with you. Uh, and uh, as Santino said, I'm uh, uh, Andy and my wife Hazel and uh, together with a, a team of fabulous elders, uh, we lead the, the church in Horsham. And uh, it's, uh, we're just experiencing just uh, an amazing outpouring of God's presence and his spirit on us and uh, in this season, which is just magnificent fun. More than anything else, it's just fun. You do know church is supposed to be fun, right? Paul, you, 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 you told him. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be funner than that. All right? It's supposed to be fun. Church is supposed to be the best place to be. It's supposed to be a fun place to be. And uh, it's, uh, we're, we're experiencing that, um, where church is really, really fun. And uh, it's important for us to be able to share that with as many people as possible. And there's a big team from Horsham come as well. And we always do that. I always tend to travel with a team. I don't go on my own. You see, if I go on my own, then you're only ever going to get a caricature of what God's doing. You know what a caricature is, right? A car- it's a picture, and you know who it is, don't you? But there are certain elements of the picture that are overemphasized. 
And if you just get me, then you're always going to get my character, my gifting will be overemphasized in anything that I do. Just how I've been made, and it's how you've been made. But if it's just me, then it'll always be a caricature. You'll be able to see it's God, but it'll be a caricature, because I'll overemphasize my character and my gifting. So we tend to travel as a team, so it's not so much of a caricature. It's not all about me. I'm not the man of power for the hour at all. It is God's grace on us as a church, and so we want to serve other churches as a church, and that's why we travel in a big team together, and we do team together. We prefer and defer to one another. I'm not the only one that's got the word of the Lord, um, and we like to we like to do that together. And uh, I was just chatting earlier about that. A picture we often have um, is of a of a relay race, don't we? So, and and you hear it in our language. So when we're leading a meeting, when we're doing stuff, we're doing it together. So Joss and I are communicating from the front. So sometimes I'll wave a microphone at him and he'll shake his head. And people have seen that and they're thinking, ooh, you know, one of the elders wanted to bring something and the worship leader said, no, it's okay because we're team, because we're leading together. You see, often we hear the language, I'm going to hand over to the worship leader. Don't we? I, I do it. So it's not, it's not like, oh yeah, our, our leaders do that. Come on, tell me something. No, it's, we use it in our language. We say, I'm going to hand over to, and it's a bit like a relay race. And if you've got a 400 meter relay race, there's always three blokes doing nothing. <laughs> Sometimes there's two for a split second. And we hand something on. But when you play basketball, It's a team, and the whole team is always pressing forward together, but one of you has the ball. And if you can take the shot, you take it. If you can't, what do you do? You pass the ball to someone else who's got some space and may be able to take the shot from where they are. And together you move forward, and that's what teams should be like. It's not a relay race to say, well, you've got it now, and I'll just sit back and watch. No, no, it's a team pressing together. So that's why we come as a team. Okay, we want to press forward together and it just depends who's happening to be holding the ball at any one time. And now I've got it, which is great. Um, great for me. Um, anyway, so what we're going to do is we are going to press in to some stuff that the Bible says um, as we do that. But the team I've got here um, are, are um, in the main very prophetic. Very, 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 very prophetic. Um, and that's okay and they'll bring stuff um, as I'm sure they will through the course of the day. But what I would ask you is please don't go to them and demand a personal word. Okay, the Bible says if you receive a prophet, you'll receive a prophet's reward. Who knows there's a difference between receiving and demanding. It's a big difference. And so what I'd encourage you to do is to receive whatever's brought prophetically. Um, I'm sure there'll be words, knowledge and stuff like that that come. And I want you to respond really, really quick. Receive it quickly. Um, But don't then come afterwards because where I said... You know, if you come to me afterwards about the business thing, I'll headbutt you. I've given them, I've given them permission to do exactly the same. Okay, so if, if, because I believe when, when God speaks, there's a moment. There's a moment of grace right there for God to do something about that situation. When God speaks, there's a moment for us to respond. And whilst it's, you know, it's not the end of the world if we have to pray later, I do believe there is a moment of breakthrough. Uh, as God speaks, and for us to respond 
in that moment is really, really important. Um, and I'd encourage you to, to do that. Um, whatever it happens to be. Now, I got into trouble with some people. Now, those of you that don't know me very well, let me explain. I'm always in trouble. It's just the depth that varies. Okay, and the, the team will vouch for me in that. I'm always in trouble. But I, I got into trouble because I brought um, a word of knowledge one Sunday, which was embarrassing. And then I asked people to stand up to respond. And someone with a very great heart, really gracious heart, come and said, Andy, I think you did that really badly. Because it was really embarrassing what you were asking people to respond to. And that was, you know, a pastor's heart. So that's, that's fine. And I love them for it. But when I kind of checked myself, I kind of felt, no, the Holy Spirit said to me to get them to stand. And, and what I, I did is I just spent some time with him and just asking him what was going on afterwards. And, and what he said to me is just that you pushed into a moment where somebody wanted their healing more than their dignity. They wanted their healing more than their reputation. And so they were prepared to stand. And uh, shortly after that, I, I, I had a, a, one of the people that had responded come and, and give testimony. And their testimony was, was, it was all to do with pipes and bowels and all sorts of lovely things. Um, and um, he said to me that he had suffered in this area for years and had prayer and had seen seasons of it being better, but had never seen complete breakthrough. And it wasn't until that moment when I said stand and he had that battle of do I battle for my healing over and above my dignity and over and above my reputation. And he said the moment I stood I felt the thing go and it's not come back. Um, Because he responded. There was a moment and we could have prayed for him afterwards and who knows. I don't know what the Lord would have done. But what I do know is there's a moment when we respond. So I just want to encourage you, you know, as the day progresses and possibly even tomorrow if you're going to be around, is that whole, that whole sense of when there's a moment, go for it. Respond. When there's a prophetic word, a, a song, like even as Nikki was bringing that whole thing about um, letting go of the bank, there's a moment for you to respond. Is that me? Am I hanging on to something? Then, then you can respond. You don't have to wait for someone to say, come out and respond. You can go right there and go, that's me. I'm letting go. I'm saying yes to that. So just want to encourage you to kind of do that um, as the day progresses and as, as everything kind of unfolds. Is that okay? Okay, so two of you are good with that. That's fine. And I, and I brought one of them. So you'll get more out of me if you respond. Because what happens is, is you start drawing on the gift. You'll start drawing on the deposit that God's put in me and you will get more, without doubt, if you engage with the word. Okay, so again, encourage you, encourage you to encourage me. Is that alright? Does that work? Is that allowed? Yeah, that'll be okay. Alright, wonderful. So this morning I'm going to talk to you about encountering the presence of God in worship. Um, and, and so often I find that in, in meetings we're very, very quick to, to um, uh, move in an area where we're contributing. And it was great that Santino kind of mentioned that. But actually, often I have situations where um, people come forward and want to contribute, but we're in a moment of, of being fixated with heaven, fixated with him. And, you know, someone's got a, a word of knowledge about someone with a bad big toe or something. Um, Maybe it's just our church that has that, but you know, you know, and you get that sense of actually, look, we are engaging with him, and now you want me to think about me. 
And so you need to think about that. And, and actually, when we come to worship him, that's what we're here. We're not asking him for a corporate word to bring. As soon as the worship starts, we are engaging in an intimate relationship and conversation with our Father. And we want to make space for him to speak to us. And a lot of things that come often forward in terms of kind of contributions are actually what God is speaking to the person. But they're so unused to being in an environment where they hear God for themselves that they assume because they're in a meeting, it must be for the meeting. And the reality is, is is that God should be speaking like that to us all the time. And he is. The question is, are we listening? You should be expecting for God to speak like that to you, personally. In the same way as we come and we, Lord, have you got a word for this group of people, which is a great thing to pray. I'm not knocking it at all. Do you ask him that same question of you? Have you got a word for me? What is it you're saying to me? And I think sometimes that he is speaking to you, but because you're in a meeting, you think, oh, it must be for here. And so I'd encourage you to push into that. And so what tends to happen is, is, that, is that we get ourselves muddled up with all sorts of things. We get ourselves muddled up with what our priorities are. When we come to worship together, we are worshipping him. We are here for him. We are not here for us. We're here for him. So we're not here so I can have a word, so I can bless you, and I can use my gift. No, my gift is here to serve the church in whatever way that is. The church gathering isn't here to serve my gift. I'm just saying. All right? Um, And so we, we, we need to be dialoguing with him personally and we we get sort of muddled up with things all the time we get muddled up i think by putting the great commission before the great commandment another way we that's another way we get muddled up i think i believe that we get those priorities muddled up you see what happens is we get more consumed with mission than we do with worship And that happens because we put the great commandment, sorry, the great commission before the great commandment. When it all becomes about mission. The great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and with all your strength. The great commission is important, don't get me wrong, don't hear what I'm not saying. But the great commission is not the most important thing. It's not the ultimate thing. John Piper says this in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over, and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. And so worship is paramount. Worship is the most mutually intimate way of encountering the manifest presence of God. And listen to the word mutually. It's mutually intimate. 
The reality is, is that Father God is itching to meet with us, to encounter us more than we actually want to meet and encounter with him. He has done everything possible to make a way for us to encounter him. Think that through. He has done everything possible to make a way for you to encounter him. To be intimate with him like a father and a child. You see, when sin prevented us from approaching him, when our own efforts fell short, not reaching the perfect standard of the entire law, that's what the Bible says, if you failed in one part, you failed in it all. That was the standard that God set. When we fell short, not reaching that standard, he who is rich in mercy and because of his great love, he sent Jesus, his only son, to die a painful death that I couldn't die, to pay the debt that I couldn't pay. So that the very things that separated me from that intimate relationship that he created me for could be fixed. They could be removed, not just so I'm forgiven, not just so I get to go to heaven when I die, but so that I could be adopted as a son. You know that Father's primary purpose in sending Jesus wasn't the remission of sins. You know that, right? Some of you look like you're sucking on a lemon. The primary purpose... A father sending Jesus was not the remission of sins. It was the adoption of sons. The cross is central without question. It is central. But that means it's in the middle. It's not the end. It wasn't the end goal. It was a necessary thing that needed to happen in order for you to be restored back to the relationship that Father intended in the beginning. That was his mission. The cross was so necessary. And Jesus, when we read in the Bible, it says that he endured it. Now, if his mission was the cross... He wouldn't have had to endure it because that would have been the objective and it would have been objective accomplished, wouldn't it? That would have been his purpose. He would, he would not endure it. It was just, this is what I've been sent for. This is my purpose. Why would he endure it? But the Bible says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the the throne of God. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Now, just think on that. His happiness, his delight was in something after the cross. What filled him with joy, what gave him the ability, the momentum to endure a horrible death was something else because his joy was in something else. His joy wasn't in the completed mission if we believe that the cross was the mission. His joy would have been in that, wouldn't it? But it says his joy was in something else. 
His joy was in something after the cross. For the joy set before him enabled him to endure. What was it that his joy was in? His joy was in our adoption as sons and daughters. That's what his joy was in. He was able to endure the cross, which was necessary to remove all the junk that prevented us from connecting with Father. That was a necessary thing to happen. But the joy, his joy was in our adoption. (laughs) That's what made him smile. That was where he found his joy. And so what I think about this whole thing is how we think about that determines whether we're more likely to put the Great Commission before the Great Commandment. You see, if you believe that Jesus' purpose was to come and to uh, save you from your sin and give you a ticket to heaven in replacement for your ticket to hell, if you believe that was the whole point, then missions is going to be the most important thing for you. Because all you want to do is get people to swap their ticket. This is about swapping your ticket. And one day when you die, you get to go to heaven. And if that's what we think, then that's why missions are going to be so important. If that's why we believed he came. I mean, we say to you, are you saved? I mean, that's how we talk about one another. Think about it. We're saying, have you swapped your ticket? Have you been saved from going to hell and you're now going to heaven? Now don't get me wrong, these words are all great and they mean something. But do they say something else about what we're thinking? And so if Jesus' primary purpose was coming to earth to forgive sins and exchange tickets then we're all going to be all about mission. Because we're going to be saying, Jesus is coming, so look busy, quick. We've got to get this job done. It becomes missional church, missional teams, missional communities, missional this, missional that. And what we end up doing is we put, end up putting the great commission in front of the great commandment. But what if... What if Jesus' primary mission was not simply to forgive sinners and save them from hell? What if his primary mission was not the remission of sins, but the adoption of sons? What if the purpose of Jesus' mission was to restore what had been lost? To restore the relationship between us and Father God? What if his mission was for us to be adopted as sons and daughters of God? What if the joy set before him was our adoption? What if our adoption filled Jesus with so much joy that he was able to endure the pain of the cross? What if our adoption filled Jesus with so much love and joy that he endured separation from that intimate relationship with Jesus in order that we might have it? What if? What if? You see, if our understanding is that all of this was for our adoption as sons and daughters, then that changes everything. It was for our relationship with the Father that Jesus came. 
And then we begin to see just how amazing Father's love for us really was. That while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, he sent Jesus to die so that the sin that separated us from that intimacy could be removed. If we understood that, if we really get that, then the result is going to be the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. Once we understand that we have been adopted, (laughs) the great commandment isn't a problem. What else is there we can do if we understand that Jesus' ultimate mission was not to save us from hell, although he has. That was not his primary purpose. His primary purpose was to restore our relationship with the Father. Then what else is there to do than to love him with everything that we have? And I believe that the ultimate expression of that intimate love, of loving him with all my heart and my soul and my mind, the ultimate expression of that is worship. It's so important that we understand that we are adopted as sons and daughters and that our natural response to that revelation is worship, not mission. Jesus, when stating the great commandment, he referred to Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So worship matters. How we worship matters. How we engage in worship matters. Some would say, well, it's all inward, Andy. It's all inward. Don't judge me by what's going on or not going on on the outside. It's all inward. I think it does need to be inward, of course. If there's no inward, then there's no nothing. But actually, I think what happened on the outside really does matter. What is that outside expression? Is that of no consequence? So can we hold that view? Well, it's all inwards. And what happens on the outside is of no consequence. Can we, can we actually hold that? I think it's pretty hard. I think if worship is a natural expression of love, the kind of love that we're talking about, to love God and thus to worship God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might, must be more than an inward act. How can it not translate into the physical? Husbands, give me a wave. Okay, let me, let me run this past you. Would you get away with loving your wives inwardly only? I told you I loved you on our wedding day. If that changes, I'll let you know. It's never going to fly. If there's no flowers, if there's no loving words, if there's no romantic gestures, it wouldn't be much of a love relationship. What kind of marriage would it be if there was no outward expression of intimacy, no physical touch, sex, we call it making love. 
Am I allowed to use that kind of language in this church? Oh my goodness. Man, they swap the lemons for limes now. <laughs> it's a physical expression of an internal love, isn't it? Genuine love cannot only be internalized. A healthy marriage cannot exist on internalized love. It has to be expressed physically. If it only exists in the mind or the heart, then it's incomplete. It has to be in your soul, in the center of your being. Your heart, the center of your emotions, and all of your might, which is our physical expression. Have you ever considered what would have happened if Father God only loved us with his heart and his mind and not his might? He wouldn't have sent Jesus. Because he formed us before the creation of the world. He loved us before the creation of the world. So, so there was that internalized love for us already. If he hadn't have externalized it and sent Jesus, that would have been a bit of a problem for us. Father physically with all his might expressed his love for us for God so loved the world his internalized love okay he so loved the world that that he gave his only son he externalized it For God so loved, he loved with all his heart, with his mind and with his strength. With his mind, his soul, his his might, as Deuteronomy puts it. His love was made physical through sending Jesus. He externalized it. A marriage is legitimized through physical expression. If a marriage is only verbally expressed, it can be annulled. A marriage is not a proper marriage until there's physicality involved, until there's intercourse. It can be annulled. It's not valid unless it's externalized as well as internalized. And I believe that us, as the bride of Christ, our love for Him needs to be expressed. More than just verbally and more than just once. I told you I loved you when I got saved. If anything changes, you'll know already. There needs to be a physical expression of our love for him. It has to be heart, mind, soul and might. In the same way that father expressed his love to us. And so if there's that sense of not being engaged, that's what us pastors call it, engaged in worship, if you're just stood there singing, I have to ask, have you fully understood that Jesus' coming was for your adoption rather than just your remission of sin? If you just stood there, what's it saying? It would suggest that you are an orphan. See, the Bible says you were once a slave to sin. 
And if Jesus' purpose was to remove the sin, that will just leave you as what? A slave. You were once a slave to sin. But Jesus came to remove sin. And if that's what all he came to do, then you're just a slave now. You're not a slave to sin, you're just a slave. But if he came to remove sin so that we might be adopted as a son and as a daughter, then I'm no longer an orphan. I'm adopted. I'm a son. Amen. Wonderful. This is good stuff, Andy. You should keep going. This is good. Okay, so engagement in worship then. There needs to be that expression. So what does engagement in worship look like? Well, the first thing is it looks like being fully present. Not allowing yourself to be distracted by others, by chatter, by your phone, by that noise over there or the bird in the auditorium. We've had that. And you're sitting there and all I can see is everyone go. Thinking, really? Is that bird saying something more interesting than what I'm saying? Don't answer the question. Just you can think it, but don't, but don't say it. For many of us, in terms of what does that look like, being fully present, it means closing our eyes. It says something that tells other people, "I'm not listening to you. Don't bother talking to me." It prevents you, when you've got your eyes closed, of seeing all the shenanigans that happen in church every time we meet. I've not actually been to one of your church services, but I could hazard a guess. There might be some shenanigans. (laughs) So closing your eyes just makes you just cut all that off. For me, it cuts me off from the the cute little blonde four-year-old with her pigtails just being cute. I don't have girls. I just have brutes of boys. So it's for me, that's a massive distraction. So put a hat on, ladies. Get them to put a hat on. It's too distracting, those cute little pigtails. So I just have to close my eyes. You know, there's all sorts of shenanigans. Your teenagers, they've grown up so fast, don't they? They get big. And do you know what? I've, found, I've discovered something in a teenager. Sorry, Megan. Um, in a teenager's, where everything seems to grow at a rapid rate of knots except one part of their anatomy, their bladder. Do you see how many times do they need to go to the toilet during the service? Everything else has grown and their bladder's the size of a ping pong ball. (laughs) Stuff goes on. There's shenanigans. So we want to be fully present. So we close our eyes. Stick with us. There's many tips I can give you. So that helps. Be fully present. Be fully present with him. If you sit next to someone every week and they're constantly talking to you, sit somewhere else. Just saying. As I've said, engagement is also physical as we worship. Now, I hope you found on your seat a sheet of paper. If you haven't, look for a seat that hasn't got a bottom on it. And and there, there should be some more there. There's some more up the back, run around. Well done. Thank you, teenagers. You can grab that on your way to the toilet. Okay, now on this list are some, not all, of the ways that we can physically engage in worship. 
And knowing that we worship in spirit and in truth, then I'm going to ask you to be truthful on your piece of paper. And what Paul's going to do is he's going to collect them all in, ask you to put your names on them. And no, 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 it's not. No, it's not. Santino's going to do it. Um, no, we, we, I just want that. I want you to be honest as you're looking at that list in a moment as we'll go through it. Don't get distracted now. But what I want you to do is I want you to think about ways we express worship. How we worship with all our heart, mind, soul and strength or might. So for example, you'll see on the list, closing your eyes. So I want you to answer the question by considering how um, you worship. So both in a meeting and in your own personal time with God. You do worship in your personal time with God, right? Mm, okay. Right, well, well, we'll have a look at that in a minute. Um, so if you're in relationship with Jesus, then you need to do more than just read about him. You need to do more than just give him a shopping list of your demands for the day. I mean, sorry, prayer requests. You need, you need to do more than just read about him and then give him a shopping list. Let me ask this question before we get on to that. How intimate are your quiet times? Let's, I'm just gonna, we're gonna go with this one for a little minute. Consider what your quiet times consist of. So just think about it for a minute. What, you, what do you do in your quiet time? Do you read your Bible? That's good. What about a worship CD? Do you engage with a worship CD? Or do you just listen? Are you just listening to others singing about your saviour, your lover and your friend? Do you listen to others do that? Or do you personally engage and express it yourself? How about your prayers? How intimate are your prayers? What do you pray about? How relational are your prayers or how business-like are your prayers? See, I would say that if you're asking for anything, it's business. Nothing wrong with that. Jesus taught us to pray. Give us our daily bread. It's okay. And there's an important part of our time when we're on our own that we do that. But before we do that, how intimate are our prayer times? You see, even if I'm praying for my wife, which I do every day, it's business. It's not intimate. So I want to start with being intimate. What about the intimate part of our relationship, our personal relationship with Jesus? We, we're good evangelical charismatics, so we say that, don't we? I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Really? How personal? You see, before I was a pastor, I had a proper job. I mean, I had a, a job in commerce. And um, I had great friends there. Great, great friends. 
never saw him once I left. I would say I had personal relationship with those people. But it was based on business. And once the business wasn't around, there was no personal relationship. So whilst on one hand there's nothing wrong with business, we do need to make sure that there's more than just business in our relationship. When you're with your quiet time with him, do you ask him stuff? Not for stuff. Do you ask him stuff and then wait for him to tell you the answer? How about asking this of Jesus? What is the thing that you are most proud of me for? That's pretty intimate. What about asking him, why do you want to be with me today? That's intimate. Wait for a response. What's he saying? What about in an area where I struggle... How do you have my back? What about asking him, what do you love about me today? These are all questions of intimacy. Or one of my favourites. What about me makes you laugh? What I've discovered is it's usually the things I'm taking most seriously. They are intimate questions. They are what one would expect to have a conversation about if you were in a personal relationship with someone. And you give them space to answer those questions. You'd make room to give your answers to those same questions to the other person. And so think about your personal time with him and see how much of it is business and how much of it is intimate. So, bring that back to worship and what we're talking about here. So on the paper is a list, not an exhaustive list, but it's a list. And I want you, what I want you to do is indicate if you think you do that thing in your personal worship time or corporate worship time. So on there would be something like closing your eyes. So you would say, yeah, do I do that in my corporate time? Yes. Do I do it in my personal time? Maybe yes, maybe no. If all you're doing in your personal time is reading your Bible, then the answer is probably no, because it's really hard to read your Bible with your eyes closed. But if you're worshipping, if you're doing stuff, and, and look at that. What I also want you to do, is to then look at the next two boxes where you've got corporate and personal. I want you to put a number in there of zero to five. Meaning, would you do that in corporate worship? Or would you do that in your personal worship? Where zero is not not, not no way, no how, not ever. Yeah, and five is, yep, yeah, I do it all the time. As I say, no one's going to collect these in. But I want you to just think about that. Think about what it is that you would do. Close your eyes in worship. Singing scripted songs. Okay, so hymn books or overheads. You probably think, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. What about in your personal time? Do you do that? Raising your hands. 
They're all probably a good charismatic bunch. So in corporate worship, I'd expect you to say, yeah. What about personal worship? Do you raise your hands in personal worship? Is that a similar expression? Kneeling. Would you kneel in corporate worship? But equally, would you kneel in your personal worship? Lying prostrate. Do the Christian hop. We call it dancing, but you know what I mean. Just the Christian hop. Would you do that in corporate worship? Would you do that in your personal worship? What about expressive dance? Interpretive dance? Would you do that in corporate worship? Would you do that in your personal worship? Because there's no reason any of these things shouldn't be happening in both situations. None at all. Waving banners and flags. Painting. Playing instruments skillfully. Singing unscripted songs. It's like Nikki did. She brought a tongue interpretation, an unscripted song. Would you do that in your personal quiet time? Because the reality is you're unlikely to do it corporately if you're not already doing it personally. With tears. With joy. Do you express those corporately and personally? Take some time today. We've got some, some good breaks. I'd encourage you, go away. Don't just think, oh, we finished the session now, I'm done. I'll, I'll come back at two. Think about these things. Take some time to look at it. Would you do those things? And if not, why not? Why wouldn't you do it corporately? What is it? Is it the fear of man? Is it your reputation? Now you might say, if you heard me sing, you'd be begging me to put a zero in that column. (laughs) And maybe that's true. But the reality is, if the Holy Spirit prompts you to do it, will you do it? And the reality is, you won't be doing it in a meeting if you're not doing it at home. Just think about those things. I want to provoke you in your love for Father. I want to provoke you in that sense of that great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. What does that look like? It requires verbal and physical expression. I don't think it's possible for us to consider worship without engagement. I just don't think it's possible. It's just not. We are sons and daughters. And there is, God has expressed himself to us so physically that is a natural response. And as we come to that genuine revelation that Jesus' mission was for our adoption, his joy for enduring the cross was our adoption. As we see those things, as we understand that was the purpose, was to bring us into relationship with God, then worship is the natural response to that. And that has to have some physicality to it. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It must exist in your soul, in the center of your being, in your heart, the center of your emotions, and in your might, with your physical expression. 
And if our identity is rooted in our adoption, then we should be unstoppable worshippers. We should be unembarrassable worshippers. I'm not even sure that's a word, but you know what I mean. Unembarrassable? Yeah, that could work. But if, if our identity is in our adoption and not what I do, what I achieve or what other, people's, other people think of me, then worshipping with all our might should not embarrass us. You see, that's why I know I joked with you at the beginning and no one responded to the word of knowledge. It's because I'm a son. I'm his son. And I'm adopted. And he loves me. And nothing I, 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 I've done made that possible. And therefore nothing that I'm going to do will change anything. Because it wasn't my actions that made it possible in the first place. So it's not going to be my actions that do anything about it. It's not going to revoke it. And so we should be unembarrassable. Now you might go home and think, mate, that bloke was an idiot. He brought a word of knowledge nothing happened. And that's fine. And I'm okay with that. (laughs) I promise I won't headbutt you. (laughs) Come and see me and we'll pray for you. (laughs) Okay. So, but that's, that's where we should be. And well done you for being unembarrassable. Well done. Be secure in that. It's brilliant. And we know that, you know, we read that story of David, don't we? Dancing before the Lord with all his might in his pants. That's what it says. Now, I'm not advocating that, although tomorrow could be amusing. Um, but I'm just saying, you know, his wife scorned him. She was embarrassed for him. And he said those amazing words, didn't he? I'll be even more undignified than this. Why? Because it says he was chosen. It's David said to his wife, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. It was the fact that he was chosen to be a son of the father. That's why he could do it. He was unembarrassable because he'd been chosen. Not because he just knew that he was going to heaven instead of hell. He knew he was chosen. Just as you were chosen before the creation of the world, the Bible says. He was unembarrassable. And that should be our response to being chosen, to being adopted as a son and a daughter. Who knows that we can quench the spirit? Who knows that you can resist the spirit? Who knows that you can resist the Holy Spirit's moving on you? You can. And maybe we'll take a look at this um, tomorrow in church. But we, we, we see Jesus going to his hometown and he could only perform a few miracles. Why? Because they quenched the spirit. They quenched the spirit. They resisted the Holy Spirit. They resisted Jesus. So let's not, when we're worshipping, resist the Holy Spirit by saying to, I don't know, flags or dancing with ribbons or lying prostrate, whatever it is, let's never say, not no way, not no how. Because we're unembarrassable. Because we're adopted. And so for me, you've probably guessed, everything sits off of the knowledge that I'm adopted as a son. Everything, whether it's my ability to preach a really good sermon or a really bad one, it doesn't matter because I'm adopted. We can talk about worship 
And we can talk about mission, because mission is great. Mission is important. It just comes after. Worship first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength is the greatest commandment. That's the first thing. The second is like it. Love people. That's the commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. The first is primary. We need to make sure it remains primary. And so that is where we need to get. And I believe that there's, there's some space this morning for us to just minister into those situations. I wonder if Josh can just come and grab his guitar. And um, we're just going to wait on Holy Spirit again. I just want to give you some opportunities to respond to some of the things that, that I've been talking about. Uh, specifically, I know there's some other words in Norwich from the team, and we'll go with that in a minute. Um, I'd love to pray with you over your business. That would be great. Um, I think I think there's a breakthrough in the area of this understanding adoption. I think there's a breakthrough for some folks that just think, Do you know what? I understand what you're saying. I get it, but I haven't got it. Yeah, I get it, but I haven't got it. Um, and um, for me, it was a it was a breakthrough moment about three years ago. When I was offended, annoyed, ready to punch my friend Phil Wilfew in the face. Seriously, I really was annoyed. Really annoyed. Because he said, the Father's purpose in sending Jesus was not the remission of sins, but the adoption of sons. And I thought, that's just rubbish. The cross is central. I was so offended. So annoyed. And then Holy Spirit just broke in. Just broke in and changed everything. Wrecked me. Not really been talking about much ever since, to be honest with you. So I believe there's a moment of, of breakthrough, if that's you. Why don't we stand, just or, or play. Um, and I'm just going to give some space for people to, to just come forward. And our team will just minister to you in that moment. Don't be backward at coming forwards. So if that's you, you understand that whole adoption thing, you get it, but you, you haven't got it, then we'd love to pray with you. The other thing I felt just as I was praying about this morning was that whole sense of breakthrough over embarrassment. Is, is that you're far too, you know, you're far too conscious, self-conscious, you're far too conscious about what everybody else is going to think or say or suspect or intimate or whatever. And so you rarely respond to anything. You rarely express yourself in worship because of that sense of embarrassment. Do you remember what I said earlier about sometimes we have to, we have to forego our reputation in order to get hold of what God wants. And if you want freedom from embarrassment, I'm going to ask you to come forward. Is that anyone? Well done. Be more hungry for God than you are about protecting your, your reputation. Well done. Well done. Thank you, Jesus. There's loads of space. Keep pressing forward. Tons of space. Come down into these side bits. That's fine. The team will come and find you. They've got a long lunch break, so they won't need feeding. It's all right. Keep coming. 
I know it's embarrassing to keep coming, but keep coming. Okay, this is great. And then just one more thing, which Juliet will come and uh, speak to as well. Just a sense of, I believe that there was particularly someone who, there needs to be this, this breakthrough in expressive worship. Uh, particularly, I felt, um, in the area of dance. Um, and uh, you've ignored it or even suppressed it. Juliet, do you want to come and share that word you had? Um, Andy and I hadn't uh, talked about this, but basically we think it's possibly the same person. I felt that there was somebody here and um, possibly even a couple of years ago, you really had um, a gift of prophetic dance and you just loved worshipping Jesus through dance. And it's just a gift on your life. You've loved it. And then something happened. I don't know whether you, someone was uh, critiqued it or whether actually somebody came and asked you to tone it down or to stop doing it. But you have shut down on the inside. You haven't only stopped dancing, but actually you have stopped worshipping Jesus in your own personal time. And we would just really love to pray for you. I believe that there's healing for you today. I believe that there's complete freedom and breakthrough for you in that. And I also sense there's somebody else here and you have either been a worship leader or you have um, operated um, in a band situation and um, someone that you were under gave you some feedback and you stepped out of the worship team and you uh, received it as criticism and you stopped worshipping and it has affected your walk with Jesus. It has affected even how you worship. You're not able to worship in the same way. And the Father wants to come and walk you through some forgiveness and walk you through some offence so that you can get totally free, so that you can get totally healed. And we would love to pray for you. Just uh, one of the other team was just saying that even as you're hearing that, you're thinking it's cultural. I'm British. We just don't do that. And God's going to offer you a culture of heaven. <laughs> culture of heaven this morning. And uh, finally, just that breakthrough in personal worship. As I was talking about what you do in your quiet times, in your intimate moments with God. And you just thought, man alive, my times with him are so far removed from that you could not believe. And if that's true, I think there's some breakthrough there as well. Joe's got a word about that too. And just felt really that there are some people who's, um, you're just feeling that, that your intimate time, your quiet time with God, it feels like there's stagnant water around. There may have been something that happened as well where you feel there's some bitter water around. But I feel today the Holy Spirit is just coming with a freshness into that time and, and he's just dropping into that around you, into that intimacy and sweetening. There's going to be such a sweetness coming to your intimate time with God wonderful so if that's you you want to respond you want to come forward for that we're just going to pray um, pray for the folk that are here uh, Joss will lead us in, in a song so just as you're, you're there just use the time now to engage in intimate worship with Father for yourself this isn't going to be a, a spectator sport but we just want to pray for those people that have come forward we want to minister to them um, we're not going to be spending ages and ages with each one but we are just going to lay our hands on and pray a blessing and release for you um, and the rest of us can just worship that's okay